welcome back to the Mind Talk podcast with myself, Edwin. And today we have a special guest who, whose background is actually in basketball, but there's so much more that she's done, which is one of the main reasons why I've, I've got her on today. So she's founder and CEO of um, ShakeOut LLC, Classy James. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad you're here. Um, we've got a lot to talk about, but like I like to do with all the guests that come on, talk to us about your first experience with sports. Ooh. So my first experience started off with me being exposed to actually football. So my dad was a Pop Warner football coach in um, the small town I'm from, East Palo Alto. A lot of people here of Palo Alto where, you know, some of the most brilliant minds live, Mm -hmm. uh, the heart of Silicon Valley. Um, I'm from East Palo Alto and he, you know, really took in a lot of minorities and showed them just football was a positive outlet. Um, instead of getting into drugs or, you know, things of that nature. So I was around football um, and uh, that was my first introduction to sports. And then it translated into my parents putting me into every sport um, because I had so much energy and I got on their nerves. So it's (laughs) like, let's put her in everything um, and see what sticks. Surprisingly, I was really terrible at basketball when Mm. I first started playing. Um, But that was the sport that really um, interests me the most. Um, I I loved it. I grew to become really good at it. And that was the sport that I just carried on playing um, throughout college. What made you, what what do you think made you carry on playing basketball? Because there's a lot of people, if they're terrible at a sport at first, they'll be like, you know what, it's not the sport for me. Why did, why did you (laughs) persevere? I think because I was so bad, but I was like in kindergarten, so everyone sucks at mm. that point. You know, you're, you're just out here, everyone's traveling, double dribbling, yeah. like. Um, but a part of it was I love the the contact because yeah. again, I grew up watching football, so yeah. I couldn't play football. I tried. Yeah. I asked my dad if I could play football, and he was like, "Absolutely not." He needed to be a cheerleader <laughs> for a year, and that was like the worst thing ever <laughs> for me <laughs> because I was very much so a tomboy yeah. growing up. So I think I liked the the physicality of basketball and it was also something that like aside. So my dad coached football for young kids, but he also coached basketball for young ladies at the time. And I was even younger than them, right? I'm like a baby. So watching them play, I was like, well, this is a way for me to still be physical like football Mm. players are, but in a different way. And then, you know, you're never good at something when you start it. I just kept, I kept playing it. My dad kept, putting me into basketball and then soon yeah. I became one of the best um yeah. for my age and I guess the, the rest is kind of history well what sport do you think you were the best at when you were younger so I was terrible at soccer hmm. I was terrible but that was a sport that they just put me in because I had too much energy so I could just run up and down the field yeah. I didn't really like know what I was doing when I was playing hmm. soccer so they put me on defense because again the physical part of it I was just pushing people out the way yeah. kicking them in the shins <laughs> you know so <laughs> like, like I, I mean I guess I wasn't the worst I heard I was a really good defender yeah. because I certainly was just probably the most physical person on the field yeah. um but technique wise wasn't the best I even tried volleyball in middle school I didn't, I wasn't the best at it either. I knew how to hit the ball over the net. I would use some of my basketball skills Mm. and volleyball, but wasn't good at that sport either. Um, So yeah, basketball was it for me. Even track, I tried track 
one season in high school, my freshman year. And it's like, I wasn't fast enough yeah. to, you know, yeah. do the, the running sports. Um, and then I tried long jump and triple jump. That mm. form and technique is just very different from like the form and the technique and the footwork of a basketball player. Yeah. So yeah, basketball was it. <laughs> <laughs> and with basketball and coaches at a young age, did you take all the advice that your coaches would give to you or was that something that kind of like developed over time? It really depended on the coach, honestly. Mm. And it's interesting because I carry the same mindset even in entrepreneurship or in the corporate environment. If you've never done what you're telling me to do, it's hard for me to really buy into what you're selling. Mm. And so even as a young, I, I had a very um, expressive attitude mm. as a child. Um, and I blame my parents for that because they wanted to raise me different. They wanted me to like know who I am, speak up for myself. But when you're a kid, sometimes you're speaking up and you're not really <laughs> as polite as you should be, right? No, no filter. Um, yeah, no filter. So, I mean, sometimes I would tell coaches like, literally like, oh, like, shut up. Because <laughs> I was like, how are you going to tell me how to do something you can't even do it yourself? Yeah. Like, or how are you going to tell me I have to run some suicides? Can you run a suicide? No. Okay. You know, so <laughs> I, but there was, there was a couple of coaches that understood me as a, as a person yeah. and realized I wasn't trying to challenge what they were saying. I just needed a why behind it. Like I, I can definitely buy into a coach's philosophy. If you explain to me why, what's the benefit. And again, like I said, I struggled with my attitude at a, as a young kid and I had one coach and she was such an amazing coach. Her name was Wendy. And she was like, class, you could be as mad as you want to be. But once you crap cross half court line, you let it go. Whatever happened on that side of the court, you let it go. And that was probably one of the most like pivotal moments for me as an elementary middle school player, because she wasn't dismissing my, my passion. Cause sometimes my passion is confused for like an attitude or something. I'm very passionate about everything that I do. So yeah. she was like, embrace you being passionate about the sport but once you cross half court let it go hmm. like we have we have other we have other plays we have other things that we have to take care of so that was a really great coaching moment for me that I always remember do, do you still keep in contact with her or you lost contact over over the years um I have kept in contact with her kind of hmm. like there's a few times I've been back to California and I've gone to the high school that I think she still coaches at um her husband was also one of my coaches when I was young so um I, it's been years since I've spoken to either one of them but they remember me so yeah. when they do yeah. hear about Classy James they remember Classy was that little girl with all that passion and she just needed to retarget it in something that was positive and look at what I'm doing today Tar yeah. like channeling, ch channeling all of my passion into a company where I'm now serving athletes so you can kind of spoke about it at the beginning so your your parents so your dad being in football so how much of them being around supporting you helped you while you were young through sport it was everything like um to have my dad as the person that taught me how to dribble and shoot and just my basketball iq was what it was because of my father 
And my mother, even though she didn't really know much about sports initially, she knew that her daughter was talented and she knew that her daughter needed support. So I was very grateful to have both of them throw everything into making sure that I was a successful athlete. And then always showing up to my games. Like there was our, one of them was always at my practice. Yeah. Like both of them for the most part were at all of my games for all sports. I played everything pretty much. Mm. And they were always there even throughout high school. Like it, it's really interesting because their jobs knew like, Oh, classy has a game. They got to leave early. And mm. it was even more beautiful because some of my mom's coworkers, cause my, we're probably going to get into like what I do professionally um, but some of my mom's coworkers used to come and watch me play basketball. So fast forward years later, when I end up working at the same company as her and all of her, all of her coworkers, they would look at me in the office and just walk away. And they're like, "Classy, you make me feel so old. I went from watching you play in middle school and high school. Now we're working at the same company in the same building. Um, so having the support of not just my parents, but even their friends, um, again, just add it to my confidence as a young athlete. I think we sometimes don't realize how important it is that family, but if family are not there, at least have friends and a network of people that will support you. Because I I guess there's probably times when maybe you're not having a good game and you see them there and you think that's going to motivate me to, to keep on pushing through. A hundred percent. Yeah, so talk us a little bit about the next step in your journey. So from from going through school, going into to college, how was the transition when it came to basketball? Yeah, I would say the transition from high school to college was, um, it was exciting because um, I went to Archbishop Mini High School. It's one of the top high school programs for women's basketball in the United States um, under the amazing coach uh, Sue Phillips. She's a USA 14 and under or 15 and under, I believe, basketball coach. Um, so she's just amazing. Um, and then I was recruited to go to Oregon State. Mm-hmm. And that was an interesting transition because the coach that recruited me to go to Oregon State was not the coach that I had when I went to Oregon State. Mm-hmm. So it was really trying mm-hmm. to figure out, like, if, is this a right fit for me? Like, will I fit into this coach's coaching style? Um, fast forward, I didn't. And that's okay. Hmm. And then I ended up transferring and going to San Jose State. But in between that, I was plagued with injury. Um, one of the the things that that happened was I was such an elite athlete at such a young age. And in high school, like Archbishop Mitty has cranked out some of the most amazing women's basketball players like in the country. And like we play so hard, we practice so hard. And so then going to that next level. It's like I'm prepared for it physically, but my body has gone through so much already Mm. and I'm just like 18. Mm. So I started to notice some issues with my hip during my senior season um, in high school. And then when I went to Oregon State, like I had all types of MRIs. Um, I still was playing on my hip. They just said, you know, they kind of made me feel like I was crazy. Mm. Um, Even though I'm one of the toughest people. Like if you ask any one of my coaches, they'll say classy, like that girl has heart and she's one of the toughest players I've ever coached. And so like still they were making me feel like I was crazy. Like you're not really hurt. So then when I left Oregon state and went to San Jose state, I had an amazing trainer. Like she actually cared about me as a person. Again, I went through MRIs and x-rays. And she was able to find I had a stress fracture in my right hip. And she found it before my hip kind of almost snapped wow. in half. 
Like if I would have continued to play on my hip, um, I would have had a metal plate and screws in my hip at the age of 19. That's mad. So I'm very grateful that, you know, the trainer like took an interest in figuring out what was wrong with me. Cause I'm not crazy. Mm. I'm not weak. <laughs> like yeah. I'm physically very tough. Um, and so luckily we found that out during my transfer season. So yeah. for those of us yeah. that are athletes know that you have to sit out of a year anyway, when you transfer. So it was perfect timing. Um, but that's the injury that I think, you know, set me up for my career ending injury. So once I came back and um, was able to start playing, I was overcompensating mm. Um, mm. to take care of my right side of my body. So I was putting more pressure on the left side of my body. Um, and again, basketball is a physical sport. I was mm. a physical player. Um, and it led to me having to get a bone and cartilage transplant in my left knee. And that was mm. my career ending injury. So um, at the end of the day, I wouldn't trade in my basketball career for anything. Yeah. It shaped who I am. I went out literally leaving everything on the court, including my knee and my hip. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, it's, it's a really interesting journey. And I know that like the journey of injuries is something that every single athlete goes through. And even career ending injuries is something that a lot of athletes experience. Yeah. Um, I just realized that I did not reach like my peak in college. Like I should have because of injuries. Yeah. With the injuries, um, when you were going through it, did you realize what sort of impact it could have mentally in terms of when you came back onto the court because a lot of people don't realize it's not as, it's not as straightforward just to to come back from an injury sometimes you're thinking am I going to do this again like what what was going through your mind at the time um what was going through my mind was I was known as a defensive catalyst um defense was my thing I was always the person that was supposed to shut down the other like offensive best guard like that was yeah. my role um, although like I was a very talented basketball player and I could shoot the ball, I could score defense was my thing. So what really scared me was, will I be able to play defense the way that I've always played defense? Because mm. we're talking about a hip injury, yeah. like defense is all about your defensive slides. That means your glutes, like your hamstrings, like your hips have to be strong. So I was nervous about that. Um, and that probably led to the, the overcompensation. Mm -hmm. And then that led to, you know, the, the left side of my body yeah. um, getting yeah. hurt. And that was the injury that just completely took me out of the game. So that was like the biggest thing. Like I, I was nervous, but I think it, as I was, my hip was healing, I was more so like, I, how can I get back and play? Mm -hmm. And just to be honest with you too, I was taking like probably like 20 anti-inflammatory pills a day oh, wow. throughout like my, my stress fracture yeah. journey. Um, and that was probably a year cause I was on crutches for six months to mm -hmm. let my hip heal naturally. But then before that, I just was in pain. So even when we talk about addiction to like pills or anything, you know, although anti-inflammatories aren't like the strongest drug of choice, if I had a stronger drug, I probably would have taken it yeah. because, so I wouldn't have to have taken like, you know, 15 to 20 anti-inflammatory pills a day. Yeah. Well, so <laughs> I don't know how it how it is at, at that age um, when you're in college when it comes to sport psychologists. Did they have one there at the time? No. They didn't have one. <laughs> Not yeah. that I knew of. I mean, yeah. 
there was a therapist on campus and okay. I had went to the therapist once, but it wasn't for athletes specifically. Like I had to like seek out okay. therapy and ensure that it was within like our athlete like benefits. Okay. But I only went to one therapy session. Okay. But again, no one told me to do that. I was like, I need help. Mm. Um, but then when I went to that therapy session, I broke down so bad and I cried. So and I, I felt so weak mm-hmm. in that moment. And I just, I never went back because I was so like embarrassed by mm. like all that I released emotionally because I, with what I was like withholding and what I had went through. Yeah. So you went through that and then it came to the point where you had your injury that, um, basically ended your career. What were the thoughts what was the thought going through your mind when you realized how bad the injury was? What what were you thinking at the time? I mean, I thought that I would be able to come back and play because before I had the the major surgery, I had a scope. Um so basically like bone and cartilage had broken off on the the outside of my left knee, which mm. is weight bearing. Yeah. And so initially the doctor's like, Well, we can do a scope and just kinda like literally scoop out the bone and cartilage that's floating around in her knee and we hope that relieves her pain. Once they realized that they that that surgery did not relieve my pain, um, then they're like, okay, we're gonna have to do what's called a mosaic plasty. And I again was like, okay, well, do it. And then I'm gonna get back into, you know, like my whole thing is like, whatever we gotta do, let's get through it. And then like business as usual. Yeah. But when they told me, no, this injury means you can't play basketball anymore, that was devastating. Mm. And mm. I think that it didn't really hit me until. I I was graduating December of 2014. And when I walked across the stage and I realized that I would not be returning back to campus, I hadn't been like participating in athletics for like three months then. But again, it was the initial like, thank goodness I don't got to go to practice. Like mm-hmm. any athlete that initially is not like, I got my freedom back, mm-hmm. they're lying. Like we love that. <laughs> and then when life really hits you, like, there's no more practice. There's no more locker room talk. There's no more hanging out with my teammates. And then for me, after I had my graduation, I had to have my surgery in January, like a week after my graduation. And I was on bed rest. So I'm on bed rest. Like I can't walk. I have none of my basketball like circle around me. I'm done with school. I don't have a job. And that's when life hit me. And I felt my weakest and my most vulnerable because not only was I taken away from the sport, I physically couldn't move. (laughs) And then my mom had went out of town for a vacation and mind you fresh out of surgery, like you need help bathing. And so I'm at home with my dad and I'm like, that's weird. So luckily my grandmother, my mom's, I mean, my, my dad's mom, lives around the corner from our old house in California. So she would walk every day to the house, like bathe me. So again, that was another just like real realization of like, I am at my most vulnerable where my grandmother is now bathing me like she did when I was a baby. Mm. (laughs) So, And that was just like a lot of just emotional, like triggers, you know, that I was going through. Yeah. Cause I guess being in that position, you kind of like, it kind of really, really shows you that this is actually it. Like basketball, I'm, I'm done. There's, there's no coming back. Yeah. So once, once you got through the recovery process, did you know exactly what you wanted to do next? 
Not necessarily. I always knew I wanted to be a boss. Like mm. if you ask anyone in my family, I have been saying since I was little, I'm going to be a billionaire. Mm. Now, like now that I'm 30, I don't know if I really want a billionaire, be a billionaire. <laughs> that's a lot of responsibility. But yeah. I always was always was like really like driven yeah. where like, you know, the concept of like Poshmark people selling their like used goods. Yeah. So I used to like take my mom's old purses that okay. she didn't wear yeah. and I would sell them on eBay Okay. and I would take the profit for myself and not tell her because she had so many purses. She wasn't going to realize <laughs> that someone missing. <laughs> I was in that a middle school. So it's like, I was yeah. ahead of my game, like ahead of the curve. Right. Um, so I always knew I had this entrepreneurial like energy. Yeah. Um, but when I was done with basketball and bed rest, I simply was telling my mom, like, I need a job. Like, I just need a job. And I was actually telling her that before my surgery, like once I realized I was not on the basketball team anymore. And so she yeah. started to introduce me to people in her network. And um, she introduced me to a really lovely lady who yeah. works at Cisco. Mm -hmm. And she fell in love with my personality. And so mm -hmm. after my surgery... Like I went and talked to her and she's like, do you want to work at Cisco? Yeah. And I was like, well, I need a job. And I was like on bed rest, talking to her, applying for a bunch of different jobs. And I went into interviews with a leg brace and crutches on. I probably was on bed rest for like two weeks. I'm like, man, forget this. Like, um, maybe I can get the sympathy card, like something. Um, but I showed up if I wanted a job. That's why I don't really understand when people are like oh well it's really hard and i don't have experience i did not have experience and i couldn't even walk and i got myself together i put my leg brace on i put my crutches under my arms and i crutched into these interviews until i got a job so that's what i did to like land my job at cisco it shows it shows a lot about um your mindset and how driven you are and how it doesn't <laughs> matter what's going on in your life you're gonna find a way to to make things happen because yeah to be honest 90 percent of people if they were in, what had crutches on they're using that as an excuse not to go but you mm -hmm. didn't you you found a way there <laughs> yeah <laughs> so then w working working at cisco so initially when you got there did you have any idea what you wanted to do it was just like i've got a job now and let's see what happens yeah hmm. Let's see what happens. That's legitimately how I felt. I was working in supply chain and mm. my degree was in finance. Yeah. So there was a huge disconnect, but I did not care because listen, I'm working in Silicon Valley in tech. That is most people's dream. Yeah. And Cisco is one of the legacy technology companies in the world. Yeah. Like it's a global brand. So I was just grateful to have a job. But then that's when I started to feel like, okay, the excitement faded how do I add value? I don't even know what I'm doing. Like I'm just sitting in the office, like fake typing on my keyboard, like mm, yeah, busy work. <laughs> <laughs> like literally, literally, that's what I was doing. Like I literally was like, people would come by, I'm like, oh, da, da, da. oh. they would leave. I'd be like, anyway, let me just go on Facebook real quick. Um, like, <laughs> and so um, I didn't really feel like completely fulfilled. Okay. Um, okay. And that's what then led to me going back to school, getting my MBA. Cause I also felt like I didn't fit in. I'm like, yeah. is corporate America for me? Cause I could easily go get a job as like a college basketball player mm. um, in the area. There's plenty of schools in the area. Like I'm from the Bay area too. Yeah. Um, but I feel like that was just very safe and it's not really what I wanted to do. It just was something I could be good at. Yeah. So yeah. I was like, let me go get my MBA 
and like really hone in on like, what do I want to do? And also be around a bunch of brilliant people. I've heard time and time again, if you're the smartest person in the room, you are in the wrong room. And so I wanted to go and get my MBA when I was still early in career because I wanted to be around like brilliant minds. I'm, I went to Santa Clara University. It's one of the top MBA part-time programs like in the country. And I'm around, I was around a bunch of brilliant people, people that worked at all of the, the tech companies, yeah. like all from the unicorn companies to the legacy tech companies to like, you know, other industries as well. So in getting my MBA, I realized I was way smarter than I was giving myself credit for it mm-hmm. because um, I would be in discussion groups and I would usually like just listen. Um, and then when they would ask for my opinion, I would give my opinion and they were kind of blown away. And then they were also blown away by the way that I spoke. So mm-hmm. whenever we would have a group presentation, they would appoint me as the person to present on behalf of the whole collective. So yeah. even if I wasn't the smartest person, I knew how to articulate myself to tell a story. Yeah. And I also started to correlate, like when you're dealing with CEOs of big companies, the CEO is not the smartest person at the company. They just know how to deliver the mis- the message or the vision in a way that's eloquent and that the you know average person can then like receive. Yeah. So getting an MBA was really helpful for me. And it also allowed me to start this entrepreneurial journey of mine. I leveraged my MBA program to create ShakeOut because some of my professors were angel investors, entrepreneurs. Um, they, they, they knew angel investors or entrepreneurs or venture capitalists. And so I was taking my homework assignments, not as homework assignments, but mm-hmm. I'm legitimately building a business. This is my business plan. Yeah. You can give me an A, B, or C. I don't care, but is this a sustainable, scalable, and impactful business? And so that's how I even allowed my MBA to help me become a better entrepreneur okay. versus going through the program to just check off a box. Sounds it sounds it sounds very exciting. And so shake out. So what made you start it? Was was it the fact that you had been in the position that um you your career had ended and you weren't sure what you wanted to do? What was the reason behind it? Um the reason was I had a lot of former teammates mm. and athletes asking me, How did you go from being an athlete to then working at Cisco? Like, can you help me with my resume? How did you prepare for an interview? Like How do you even get your foot in the door? How do you network? And those were just basic things. But I remember both at Oregon State and San Jose State, I didn't really get the training that I needed. And so I identified a gap. And I don't say this to discredit colleges and universities because they do the best that they can, right? Coaches need to win games to keep their jobs, right? ADs need to make sure they're part of a winning program to keep their job, right? So as much as they care about the athletes, they don't have the time to really invest in their career development post-athletics. And so me identifying the problem, ShakeOut was my proposed solution. And that's kind of how ShakeOut you know, came about. And then people asked me, what does ShakeOut mean? From a young, young kid, I would talk to my dad about certain friends that in one season were playing a sport, but in the next season, they weren't playing anymore. And I'd be really sad because I was like my friend. Like I didn't go to school with them. So the only time I would see them was when we played soccer or when we played basketball. And so my dad would be like, that's the shakeout. And I didn't really know what he meant until I got older and I looked it up in the dictionary. And essentially it's turnover. 
And it's turnover that usually happens in corporate America. But what he was saying, what he it was that it was applicable to sports. That shake out, shake out, the shakeout happens at every level. As you get older, people are going to be phased out of athletics for any reason. Injury, skill set, politics, life. Like mm-hmm. we all eventually become products of the shakeout. And that's the reason why I named my company Shakeout, you know, after something that my dad instilled in me. Mm-hmm. But also I did it like in school because the market told me there was a problem. So any smart entrepreneur, like if you see a problem, you create a solution to solve that problem. And that's kind of the rest is history, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's amazing what you're doing. Absolutely amazing because... There is so many, like in the US, you, you see with the college system, it's good in supporting athletes when they're coming through. But at the end, then it, there's nothing there. Um, <laughs> I know in the UK, we we kind of have, the problem's a little bit different because the, there's no real like college or university system that really supports when it comes to, yeah. to sports. Um, but then in soccer, f- football, soccer, whatever, um, <laughs> here, there's many, many top talents when they're younger that they get thrown all sorts of contracts, money and everything, and then they get let go, and that's it. And that's where something like what you're doing can come and help people like that, because when people are in those situations, some people don't know what to do, some people, at least there's depression. Um, I've heard this cases in the UK of people committing suicide and, and stuff like that. So it's so, so important that the gap is filled with what you are trying to do right now. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. And I know we're probably going to get into like my conference, you know, eventually soon here, but that was a a huge, you know, reason behind it was the mental health piece. Because like I told you, I went to therapy once and then never went back. I was scared. Yeah. Um, And then as I went through my career ending injury, like I feel like that was the first time I actually went through my own wave of depression. Yeah. Um, and not realizing like what it was, how I was feeling. I couldn't talk to my parents really about it because um, they didn't really understand. They're like, you should be just grateful. <laughs> yeah. Like you have all of this amazing stuff, but they didn't understand what I was going through, how essentially a piece of me died when I couldn't play basketball anymore. Like how I identified myself to yeah. the world, that no longer was accurate. I was yeah. always, oh, Classy plays basketball. That's what she does. She's so good at basketball. And so when you removed basketball from my title, I didn't know who I was, what I stood for, what I was passionate about, what I was good at. Like I got a job at Cisco. I wasn't good at my job at Cisco. I just had a job. Like, and then I went to school. I'm not the best student. I'm a horrible test taker. I get the worst anxiety when I have to take tests, but I can speak in front of people. So that's when I was like, I was using my, (laughs) the the things I'm good at, you know, to to work for me. But it wasn't like I was a good student. I'm not the best student out there. Like I wasn't the best, you know, employee at Cisco. Um, And I still didn't really know who I was until I created ShakeOut. And that was a way for me to deal with my own journey with life after sports. So talk to us a little bit, like break down um, all the elements of ShakeOut, what you do. Talk to us a little bit about your conference as well. I know that's coming up. Um, yeah, speak to us about that. Yeah, so ShakeOut has evolved from when I first created it. I actually wanted to write a book about being successful after athletics. And I told my dad, he's like, well, you're not successful. You just got a job. And I was like, my dad is very blunt, which yeah. I appreciate because I'm very blunt too. <laughs> and so what he really like meant was you barely like, 
graze the surface of what you're going to do and the impact that you're going to make on this world. So like pause in the book. And then I also thought to myself, I just started reading like, you know, 2017. And so I know athletes are not reading. <laughs> they're not like they're, they're, they're not really even reading their, their, their textbooks, their homework assignments. They're just trying to get through it. Yeah. So then I was like, okay, well, athletes are more, you know, individuals that learn by doing. So yeah. then I was like, okay, I'm going to become a life coach and do workshops. And I was initially specifically focused on female athletes because I thought that females would resonate with females mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. until my first paid uh, job was for all male athletes <laughs> out of college. So um, I started to realize that the message that I'm sharing is not just tailored for one demographic. It's for all athletes. And so what we offer with ShakeOut is I do speaking engagements, you know, mm-hmm. different motivational um, talks, talks about my journey, talks about career development. I do work in tech and I'm a diversity, equity, and inclusion operations manager. So I'm all about, you know, giving the the minorities an opportunity and creating that pipeline of talent into this technology space. So okay. I can talk about that. Okay. Um, I do also host workshops. I haven't done them for a couple of years because I've been focusing on this conference. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then of course the conference, the Athletes Unite conference. Um, this was supposed to happen um, like last year, but then COVID happened and yeah. I decided to push it out to give myself more time. And what I realized was because I work full time, yeah. um, I don't really have as much time as I would like to, to travel around the world and do workshops and stuff. And quite frankly, like a lot of the colleges weren't willing to pay me as much as I felt like I wanted to get paid. And so it's not sustainable for me to quit my job and yeah. just go on tour, you know, and do speaking engagements and workshops. So yeah. I was like, what can I do where I can make the biggest impact in a short amount of time and then bring together a collective group of professionals and impact even more athletes? And that was the creation of the conference. Um, There were so many amazing athletes or former athletes that had different businesses that Mm -hmm. were counselors, that were psychotherapists, psychologists, nutritionists, entrepreneurs, life coaches, um, industry professionals. And I was like, if I can get them all together and have them discuss things that they're doing, their trials and tribulations, when we talk about representation matters, it does matter. So if an athlete is looking, whether it's virtually or they're in person, and they see someone that went through something similar that they experienced, and that person looks like them, or that it resonates with them, they start to feel like, okay, even if I don't like reach that level of pro status that I want to reach, it's okay. Cause I now know someone that looks like me that's doing the things that I aspire to do. And so that's kind of the whole basis of the conference. Like, yes, we have amazing, amazing, amazing panel discussions. Um, We have amazing speakers. We have some special guest speakers, Um, but we also have a career fair. Because again, for me, working in diversity and inclusion, it's about creating that pipeline of talent into the workforce. So I have some amazing companies that have made the investment to come to the event and to come and recruit athletes to work for them, which is so amazing too. Like, and some of these companies are global, like Cisco, Cisco's going to be there deep because I work at Cisco. Like this is a hybrid event on Cisco WebEx. Um, Our whole HR team is going to be there. I'm hiring 10 athletes to um, report under me for a two-week micro internship. It's a paid internship to work under me at Cisco. Um, I announced that Chick-fil-A will be there. Um, The Dreamfield Foundation is a partner of ours. Um, Marriott will be there. Glassdoor will be there. Lenovo will be there, just to name a few. 
And these, and these are companies that are looking to help athletes in some capacity. So um, it's a really dope opportunity. Like it's never been done before yeah. at this level. Um, it's a two day event. The first day is all focused on business and entrepreneurship. Okay. And then the second day is all about health and wellness. Okay. So when we talk about the mental health component of it, like we have a whole day dedicated to that where that's what the panel discussions are about. Um, and I think it's really important to allow athletes to have a safe place to, again, talk about things that we experience as athletes. It must be great working at a place like Cisco, which allows you to do like collaborate with your own stuff at the same time, because it's very difficult for some places. There are even some companies that they part of the contract when you go in, they're like, you can't, anything you do outside of, of work, um, is not acceptable here. <laughs> so yeah, it must be a great for you. I'm very grateful. And I, and I, and I say this for a lot of people that are trying to do both work a nine to five and have, um, a side hustle or a passion, passion project. If you can make it where your main job benefits, hmm. it's hard for them to say no. And you're not yeah. a competitor. I'm not a competitor of Cisco. Like I literally this morning, I reached out to some of the C-suite executives at Cisco and then the C-suite like HR lead responded back to me and was like, thank you so much for your leadership and what you're doing to make like not only like Cisco a better company, but then also represent for minorities. And so me using Cisco's like collaboration tools, because I work specifically for the WebEx team mm -hmm. at this event. I'm literally putting Cisco WebEx in front of an audience that predominantly uses Zoom and Microsoft Teams. So it's a it's a marketing opportunity. I also like I'm very savvy in what I do and how I move. Yeah. And so it's like a win win for Cisco, because, again, like, for instance, the NBA reached out to me last week and they want to send some NBA players or G League players to the conference. So now I'm putting WebEx in front of the NCAA the NBA, Chick-fil-A, and all those other companies I talked about, yeah. which again, it's not free marketing because they are contributing financially to help me run this event. Yeah. But we spend millions of dollars on events where we're literally just talking about our products in front of WebEx users. Yeah. So now yeah. we're changing up the scope of it and we're putting our products and our technology in front of users that probably don't even know what WebEx is. So Again, everything in life, when it comes to business or even personal, yeah. things that are mutually beneficial will always allow you to then like get to that next level, right? If you, in a relationship, you know, if you're with your partner, it has to be a mutually beneficial relationship. Otherwise, if one person's carrying all the weight, then the other person feels like, what am I doing here? Yeah. So it's the same thing with business. And so that's how I've been able to both have a company and work at Cisco because it's mutually beneficial. If I'm creating a pipeline of talent for my conference to work at Cisco, I am essentially doing our HR and like recruiting team's job by bringing in potentially 20, you know, diverse candidates into yeah. Cisco. How easy was it to get the buy-in from, from the people that are going to be sponsoring the event? Um, surprisingly, it was not that hard. Hmm. Um, I am really good at pitching. And again, that was me playing on my strengths. So yeah. I knew I was a good speaker. Um, I have a pretty good marketing eye. So I put together a really beautiful pitch deck. I'm good at telling a story. So whenever I have talked to someone about the conference and what I'm doing, and also the conference is free. 
So mm-hmm. I'm not trying to like make a whole bunch of money from it. I'm yeah. leading with the impact. Yeah. People resonate with that. And yeah. the companies knew that like by them making a financial contribution, you guys are allowing me to allow athletes to tune in virtually or in person for free. Yeah. And they yeah. also felt good about doing that. And again, knowing the business landscape of things is really important. I know how much recruiting organizations at companies pay to recruit top talent. And in knowing those numbers, when I was asking for financial contributions, it was a no brainer for them because they were like, oh, you want that amount of money? We spend that amount of money to find two candidates Mm -hmm. and I have access to hundreds of candidates through your event. It's a no brainer. It's a Mm -hmm. cost saver. So, you know, I, I just, I studied a lot too. I think I didn't start working at Cisco and then create a business and then ask people to buy in. Like I've been working in technology for seven years. I went through different roles. So I really understood business, like big business. And I knew how to tap into companies and the things that matter to them, to them the most. And post 2020 with the George Floyd incident, Every single organization has a diversity, equity, and inclusion arm. Mm. So I make sure I reach out to those people because I'm like, this is a DEI initiative. When you're investing in this event, you're investing in a diverse group of athletes and candidates that add value to your workforce. It's been, what you're doing is absolutely (laughs) amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Um, Thank you. My last question to you today. So it's clear you had a strong mindset from when you were younger. But what thing do you think, in terms of your mindset, you have now that you didn't have, let's say, 15 years ago? Um, I would say I have the, the, the more spiritual component of me, where mm. I always, and you know, for people that are listening, whoever they believe in or if they don't believe in anybody, that's their prerogative, but I've always believed in God. But I never really, like, took my faith seriously. Yeah. And yeah. so... Over the past couple years with the pandemic, I lost a lot of family members in 2020, mm. not even be, not even COVID related, but just life related. Yeah. And my, my strength and my faith has really given me discernment to make certain business decisions. Um, and also the belief that if I continue to do good work, the good things will come and they will happen. Yeah. And I yeah. went through a lot of setbacks in putting on this event. Uh, this has been the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. Mm-hmm. Like the hardest. Yeah. I have yeah. had sleepless nights. I have cried myself to sleep. I have woken up like yeah. having panic yeah. attacks um, because I'm doing something that's never been done before yeah. and getting yeah. people to buy in to what I'm selling. Sometimes it's really hard as a woman of color who is young. And again, no one really knows who I am and you know what I'm doing or what I, why I'm doing it. But my faith has pushed me through um, even the darkest moments. Classy James, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for coming on. For anyone listening for the first time, welcome. For anyone that is coming back, thanks for coming back. Please like, please subscribe. There'll be more episodes coming soon. Until next time, peace.